Okay, with that, we're going to open God's Word. Uh, please turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. So a little bit of background as to why this verse, or why this passage. As I thought about how the year uh, should end in our teaching, uh, one word came to my mind as what this needed to be about. It needed to be about faith. I think faith is what we need going into 2021. Uh, faith individually, faith as a church, faith for the future, uh, faith for living in the next year. And there are two situations that I think the Lord wants to speak into. Um, one is that you might be looking to 2021 with a sense of hope that it'll be a better year than 2020 was. <laughs> Uh, that this year was something of an anomaly, and that next year things will return to normal. Once the clock strikes midnight and we change the calendar over, we're like, okay, good, we're done with that. Uh, now we can breathe a sigh of relief and get back to, to the way things were. Maybe that's where your hope is. I certainly hope next year is a more normal year, but there's nothing magical about the turning of the calendar. Uh, that won't change our fortunes by itself. We need a hope that's more concrete going into next year. On the flip side, you might be looking to 2021 with a sense of dread that 2021 will be worse than 2020. Um, maybe you think your trials have only begun and they're going to get worse. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to get COVID uh, in the next year or give it to somebody. Maybe you're afraid that the economy is going to tank. Maybe you're afraid that... Um, you will lose personal and religious freedoms under the new administration. A lot of things that we might be dreading about 2021, and I certainly hope that none of those things happen, but we aren't promised that our circumstances will get better. Jesus said, in this world, you have tribulation. Um, and so it's always there to more or less degree, but it's always there. It will be there in 2021. Scripture gives us hope. That is beyond our circumstances. And that is described for us and it is modeled for us in Hebrews chapter 11. So this chapter and this book was written to encourage the early church Christians, first generation Christians in the first century who were facing trials. Uh, their trials were the normal kind that we have, but they were also the kind that are specific to Christians. Um, we read in chapter 10 that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property, and in chapter 12, that their struggle against sin they had not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So they were experiencing persecution that would be worse than you know what we might have a little bit of in the United States but not as bad as what you have in Iran. They were losing possessions, but they weren't losing their life. They were somewhere in the middle there. They were farther out than we are in terms of suffering. Um, so they're experiencing this kind of thing. Um, they had trouble, but it could be worse. So how do you encourage a people like that? How do you encourage people who are going through tribulation, whether it's the common variety that faces all of us or the kind that's specific to believers? How do you quiet your soul? How do you move forward with confidence and have what one writer called a quiet happiness and a secret strength going into 2021? Where, where do we get that? The answer in Hebrews chapter 11 is that it comes by faith, by 
practicing what we believe. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and read verses 1 to 16 and then ask for God to bless the preaching of his word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, Lord, give us the eyes of faith this morning. Um, going into this next year, we will need an adjustment with the unseen things. So again, show us what those things are that we can hope in, things that we can be sure of. We ask, Lord, that we go into this, this next year strengthened, supported, encouraged, built up and ready uh, to meet with faith, whatever it is that you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll consider three things from the text this morning. What faith is, what faith does, 
and what faith receives. That's our outline. Let's start with what faith is. The writer defines it for us in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has to do with believing realities that are invisible. You can't prove their existence. (laughs) You can't prove it by examination. You must trust that something that you can't see is real. That's what faith is. Now, it's more than believing, for example, that oxygen exists, which you also cannot see, because we can still detect oxygen through instruments. We can still draw its chemical structure. We can measure its presence. We can even bottle it for patients and for firefighters and for scuba divers. But faith is believing in something that you can't measure, You can't detect it. You can't prove that it exists. That's what makes it faith and not sight. And the writer of Hebrews says, there are things not seen that we can be assured of. Though you can't measure it and see it, you can be sure of these things. These are realities, and they are things you can hope in. They are things hoped for, which means... They will keep you from sinking into despair when everything looks bleak. There will still be hope in these unseen things. It means that you can go into today and tomorrow with a sense that something good is coming your way, though you can't see it. So what are these things that are not seen? And there's a lot that we could say here. You could just go, go through your Bible and find hundreds of these things, but let's, let's, let's just confine them to the categories of verse 6, which says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Those are the two things that are unseen that you cannot prove and that you must take by faith. God exists and he rewards those who seek him. These things are hopeful. These things will give you a quiet happiness and a secret strength if we really bank on them. So let's talk about them. First, you must believe that God exists. Verse 3 introduces this to us. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So that's a statement that God is the invisible source of everything that we can see, that we can measure, that we can build things with, that we can enjoy. God did it. The invisible God did all these things. He created all these things. That is the number one cardinal rule of faith. God exists, and we exist because of God. Therefore, we are accountable to this God because we came from Him, and He has a design. He has a purpose for his creation. Now, though we take that on faith, that is not a blind leap of faith, to use that phrase. Uh, a blind leap is it's contrary to evidence. You know, there's no way I should believe this, but I'm going to believe it anyway. That's the blind leap. That's not what this faith is. No, this faith is, 
is based or is, is, is evidential. You can see there is evidence for it, that it, it coheres. It makes sense when you gather all the data. I'm a scientist. I love data. And I can tell you that even science points toward a creator God. There is no way that a beautiful sunset just happened by random chances. There is no way that your incredibly amazing, complex body could work just through an unorganized random mutation even the living things even the universe itself its symmetry its complexity its order its beauty that did not come from nowhere without any direction without any intelligence without any creator a creator made it so it's not a blind leap of faith it is reasonable faith. And even science, archaeology, history point in that direction that there is a God. Nevertheless, no amount of evidence is enough to prove it. Um, you know, I, I remember talking with a guy, very smart guy. He heard all of this a hundred times. <laughs> and we just kept talking and talking and talking for years. And there would be more and more evidence. And there was never a buy-in because at the bottom of it all is faith. God will not give you everything you want to know in order to believe in him. You must believe what you can't see. That's the entry requirement <laughs> to being with him, to being one of his own. There is this God who exists. But who is this God who exists well, in the context of the book of Hebrews, this is the God who came in the person of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. That's what the central theme of Hebrews is. It's the person and work of Jesus. It starts in Hebrews 1.3. We're told that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So who is the God who exists? It's the almighty God who upholds the universe by the word of his power, but has come into human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and make purification for them, to remove the offense, to pay the penalty for the sin, to satisfy God's justice for those sins. This, the very God that we have sinned against by not doing His will has come to take the punishment upon Himself in our place. So we have this omnipotent God, this, this amazingly powerful creator God, but who comes to us in a person to save us from our sins. And we will be saved if we put our faith in this God, this God who became flesh. That's what Hebrews is about. It's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's better than the angels and all this other stuff. He's, he's this priest like Melchizedek. And you just go on and on and on through the whole thing. The center is God coming to us in the person of Jesus. That is the God who exists. And the gospel is that this God comes to save you through Jesus. So that's the beginning. <laughs> 
That's where real hope is. A God like that we can put our hope in. <laughs> he can do anything, and he's shown us amazing mercy and love. But here's the second thing that we have to take on faith, is that this God rewards those who seek him. He says that in verse 6. He rewards those who seek him. We're going to come back to what the reward will be in the last point, but for now we should realize it is not enough just to believe that God exists. It's not even enough to believe that the God of the Bible exists, that he came in the person of Jesus Christ. We must believe that he rewards those who seek this God. Not that just we have an intellectual knowledge of him, but that we pursue a personal relationship with him that involves obedience and devotion and submission and, and, and worship. That's what the seeking is. So, so yes, we believe he's there, but we also have to believe something about him. He rewards you for coming to him, that it's better for you to seek God than not. And of course, we could say the number one reason it's better is that he'll save you. <laughs> he'll forgive your sins in Jesus Christ. He will give you an eternal home with him. You will dwell with God forever. Your sins will be forgiven. Your, your sins will be gone. You will be having a new body and all of this. Obviously, there's that. But but also, there's more than that, and we'll talk about the reward um, towards the end. Um, but you have to believe that God rewards those who seek Him. You have to see Him in a certain way. Not as just the, the, the judge who's got his arms crossed and he's waiting for you to trip up, and as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to pounce on you. That's not the God that He wants us to see. He wants to see the God who, who calls and woos and says, Come to me, come to me, I have something for you. We don't always talk about reward as an incentive for trusting in God, but that's a legitimate incentive. Jesus told us to pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's holding that out as incentive. Part of why we seek God is the assurance, the conviction that it will be very good for us if we do that, that he has promised us things as we seek him. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Or, blessed are those against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So faith is believing in the God you can't see and that that God rewards you for seeking him. Because he is a good and merciful God. So that's what faith is. Let's talk about what faith does. The main theme of chapter 11, which goes on for 40, work, 40 verses, is what people did by faith. So they had faith that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then they acted like that's actually true. <laughs> they actually act like there is a God. And that he will reward me as I'm seeking him. They did stuff. So you've got examples here. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Uh, Noah constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place, and it goes on and on like that. All these things that people did by faith. Faith was, was the reason they did it. So you see that genuine faith leads to action. If you're convinced God really exists and he rewards those who seek him, then you will live like that is true. It will affect your choices. It will direct, direct the shape and shape the course of your life. The way scripture describes this is walking by faith. Walking by faith, not by sight. So walking is, you know, it's a slow thing. It's what you do day by day. It's how you live for 50, 70, 90 years. Is that by faith or is that by sight? Is that just totally governed by everything you see and hear around you or is that governed by unseen things? That's what this is talking about. Where you put your trust is going to determine your actions. Hebrews 11 shows us what walking by faith looks like in action. And so let's just see what some of the things are that it looks like. So I'm just going to pick three. There's a lot more than this, but three things that it looks like walking by faith. Number one, it means you trust God's word, not worldly appearances. You trust God's word, not worldly appearances. Noah's an example of this. Verse 7 says that by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, here's the backstory behind Noah, which is from Genesis chapter 6 through 8. In Genesis 6:17, God said to Noah what he was going to do. He said, Behold, I will bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And then he commands Noah to build an ark to put his family in and to put some of the animals in of all, of all kinds so that they'll survive. Well, an ark was basically just a massive wooden box. <laughs> um, it had only one purpose, which was to float. <laughs> And to keep all of these people and animals alive for however long that would took, right? That's the only reason for building an ark. It wasn't a shed. It didn't have any practical purpose at all except to float in a flood, right? And this thing was huge. This thing was a football field and a half long. It was 45 feet tall. It was 75 feet wide. Gigantic. Think uh, ocean-going barge. That's what this thing was. Noah had to build it. It took him decades, up to 100 years, about 1,500 tons of wood would go into this thing. So here's a guy, he's spending, you know, 80 to 100 years of his life building a great big wooden box that has one purpose, to float, and he's building it on land, right? If there's not going to be a flood, that makes no sense. <laughs> that is a complete Waste of your life if God's word isn't true that there's going to be a flood, and yet he did it, and nobody else believed there would be a flood because Luke 17, 27 says, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Nobody thought this was going to happen except Noah. And so he kept building that thing. <laughs> year after year, decade after decade. 
because he trusted God's word, not worldly appearances. Friends, walking by faith means you will do things that don't make sense unless what God says in his word is really true. You will do things like give your time, your money, your effort, your commitment to a local church that is called the body of Christ, which makes no sense at all if there is no Christ. That's wasted time. You will speak to people about heaven and hell, two things that don't exist if there is no God. You will speak to people about Jesus as the only way to eternal life, something that Paul said is a stumbling block to some and folly to others. It is either offensive or stupid if there is no God and no Christ. You learn to turn the other cheek when slapped on your face. That's another way of saying you do not require justice for every injustice against you. That makes no sense if there's no ultimate justice. <laughs> because some of those offenses are serious. Walking by faith means the unseen God and his word directs your actions more than worldly appearances. Not that you disengage from the world and don't think about it at all, but what God, sa what God says is more weighty and authoritative than what you're going to hear from anybody else. Walking by faith also means this, that you act without all the information that you want. <laughs> you act without all the information that you want. Before you know all that you'd like to know, you have to make the decision. That comes from Abraham's example. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know. Here's the backstory on Abraham. Genesis 12, 2, God said to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So Abraham, I want you to leave the place where you grew up, where all your family is, all your friends are there. This is a place that's familiar to you, and I want you to leave it. And I want you to go to another place. But I'm not going to tell you where it is. First you start going, and then I'll show you where it is. <laughs> I'll let you know when you're there. <laughs> he has to go without knowing. And friends, walking by faith means going without knowing. It means you act on God's word without having all the information you would like to have about what's going to happen. Am I going to do it right? Where is this all leading? You have to go before you know that. You have to obey before you know that. For some of us, that may be the truest test of our faith. Are you the kind of person who needs 100% certainty that you're doing the right thing before you do it? Are you the kind of person who has a zero tolerance for risk that you have to know you're going to be safe before you do something? Are you a person who needs to know exactly how something is going to turn out before you start to go towards it? If those are tendencies in your life, Walking by faith is a big challenge for you. 
because you're going to have to take action and follow the Spirit's leading without knowing all that you want to know, without having a safety net in case it doesn't work out. That's what it means to walk by faith. You have to trust unseen things. That was a barrier I had to overcome in order to become a vocational pastor. This is a story I've told before, but it fits here. In early 2002, I was seriously wrestling with whether or not to quit my job and go into pastoral ministry full-time. The sense of calling was strong. It was, it was ver- verified by a number of people, important people in my life. That was all there. It was confirmed, but the fear of the unknown is what stopped me. I wanted certainty that God would provide for my family if I did that. I wanted to know where's the money going to come from. That was the bottom line. I read two things that decided it for me. One was Matthew 6:26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, uh, are you not of more value than they? I thought, hmm, that sounds like God's talking to me. The other was a quote that I read from a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Um, full disclosure, I never read the book. <laughs> I opened the book. There's the, there's, you open the front cover, there was the, the title page. You, open, you flip past that, there's a dedication page. You flip that, past that, there's a table of contents. You flip past the next page, there's a preface. The first paragraph in the preface was a quote by A.W. Tozer. I read that quote. Here's what it says. The man of pseudo-faith will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where his future must depend upon that creed being true. He always provides himself with secondary ways of escape, so he will have a way out if the roof caves in. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. Boy, that nailed me. I wanted a way of escape in case the roof caved in. I didn't want to commit until I knew with certainty where's the money going to come from. And God says, that's pseudo-faith. That's not real faith. You're not really relying on me. You've got a backup plan. (laughs) You don't actually believe that I care for sparrows and that you're more important than them. You don't believe it. And you're going to have to believe it if you're going to quit your job. And I'm not going to tell you how it's going to turn out. I'm just telling you the next step. So take it. And trust me, faith requires that. We took that step and God provided for us. That's what walking in faith looks like. You have to go without knowing. One more thing that walking by faith looks like before we apply all this to the year ahead. It means you have to live with an eternal perspective. You live with an eternal perspective. That's how the people in this passage lived. We see it in verses 13 through 16. I'll read part of that. These all died in faith. 
So this is the whole bunch of them that are listed, you know, starting from Abel all the way going through Sarah and Abraham. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 16, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So here's an unseen reality to bank on. God has prepared a city for us, a a better country, a heavenly one, he says. And it's not on this earth. On this earth, you're you're exiles, you're you're sojourners, strangers. You're, You're passing through, but this isn't your home. No, you have a different home. You have a country. You have a city, you have a place God is preparing. He has prepared it. It's waiting for you. That's your true home, and it's not this earth. That reality is what makes the trials of this life bearable because it puts them in perspective. Because no matter what you face, no matter what 2021 brings your way, it will not be nearly as bad as the heavenly city is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you take your worst day here and it won't be as good as your worst day there. And there won't be any worse days, but I mean like every day will be off the charts great <laughs> in this heavenly place. When it says they died in faith not having received the things promised, that doesn't mean God broke his promises. That doesn't mean they didn't receive something because they did receive those things in part. Abraham actually did become a multitude. Sarah did conceive. You know, the flood did come, and and they were saved from it. So there there were things that happened real time. But the deal is the fulfillment of all of it, the the big prize (laughs) is out there. It's in the city that God has prepared. It's not this one. There's a better country where all the promises come to their fulfillment, all their completion, all their fullness. That's where all believers are heading. That's where our hope is. So that means our hope is not in a world without COVID. Right? If COVID continues for another year, that doesn't have to destroy our hope at all. Because our hope isn't here. Our hope is not in a Christian America. If the worst case scenario happens and we plummet into some sort of Babylonian godlessness, that doesn't have to quench our hope because it's not here. It's in God who has prepared for us a city and who we also know from last week is God with us, Emmanuel, now, who walks through the valley of darkness, the valley of death with us. That's where our hope is. Our hope is not in an easy, trouble-free life. Our hope is there's a God with us in our trouble and a God who's going to deliver us from our trouble eventually. We have something better that can't be touched by anything we face in this life. That is unseen, but that is reality. And it's yours in Christ. So let's make a couple of applications to the year ahead of us. What will it look like to walk by faith and not by sight in 2020 for you and me? 
Here's one thing it means. We'll need to evaluate whether our actions are consistent with our stated convictions. I mean, all of our actions. <laughs> we have a, a verbal creed. We have things we believe about God, right? He exists. He rewards those who seek him. We know he's almighty. We know he's sovereign. We know he loves us. We know he's a father. We know all these things about God. we got a zillion promises in the Bible. But do our actions line up with that verbal creed or not? That's the question we'll have to ask ourselves. So think about the amount and type of news that you consume, for, for one example. You know, some of us might, we might be really buried into news, like we're really on it, like we're really every day turning on that, clicking on that blog, clicking on that news feed. You know, we got to know what's happening now, what's happening now. Maybe that's going on with some of us. And it's good to be informed, but maybe that could reflect a fear um, if I, and, and maybe a sense of, if I know what's going on, then I can prevent it from happening. You know, knowledge is power. And if I, if I know what's going on, I can do the right things to make sure that that doesn't affect me. Well, to some degree, we need to know and we need to adjust. But we might be taking on responsibility that's not ours. You know, we aren't upholding the universe by the word of our power. <laughs> We can't stop the economy from plummeting. We can't stop worldwide things from happening. What, but God can do that. <laughs> so why don't we obsess about who God is? <laughs> why don't we obsess about knowing who our Father is and how much He loves us and what His promises are? And then this other stuff maybe won't be so obsessive, right? D does our consumption of news reflect our, our belief that God is over all this? And we can rest in that. That might be one area. Uh, here's another one. Maybe what the Lord wants you to do in 2021 is evaluate your response to COVID. I'm assuming it's going to be with us for several months still. It's not going to go away on January 1st. Um, maybe he wants us to evaluate our response to it. And I know I'm treading on sensitive ground here, so I'm trying to pick my words carefully. Um, but I know that there's going to be some conviction for some of us at least, maybe all of us. Is your response to COVID consistent with your conviction that there's a sovereign God who calls us to do certain things without knowing what's going to happen if we do them? There are two extremes we can go to related to the presence of a virus. One is to ignore, is to take no precautions at all and ignore wisdom. The other is to take no risks at all and ignore faith. We probably gravitate to one or the other extremes, each, each one of us. So we need to hold up our responses to the word of God and see if they're consistent with what we believe about God and his will for us. I think we'll need to do this especially when it comes to the question of meeting together in person, which we want to do. In-person gatherings are the best and most natural way to fulfill the one another commands of Scripture. We were made to be together. Being isolated is not how we thrive, even if you're an introvert. <laughs> that might feel good, but you need other people in your life, <laughs> even if you like to be alone. You need iron sharpening iron. You need encouragement. You need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are distributed to a bunch of different people and not you. 
We, we need to be in the same room to really enter into all that God has for us in the Christian life. So in 2021, our goal is to get back together in person. Discipleship groups, prayer meetings, Sunday mornings. So you have to ask yourself, if you're not meeting in person, what is preventing you from doing that? You might have good reasons. Pastor Dan has the best reason of any of us. His immune system is going to be destroyed in these next couple of days. He cannot be around anybody. That's legit. And some of you are at high risk. And so if that's the reason you're staying away, great. But if you're not in that category, evaluate whether your absence is consistent with faith or not. Is it consistent with a value that I need fellowship, that I need prayer, that I need the gifts of the Spirit of other people in my life? Is that consistent with it? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What are your requirements for getting back in the room with people? And are they biblically informed? It's a good question. I can't answer that question for you. I'm not going to assume that if you're not here that it's for the wrong, the wrong reasons, but definitely ask yourself that. Have somebody else also process that with you. Bottom line, there is always the unknown. There is no guarantee of your safety. Faith has to be exercised. Faith in the God who has called us to do certain things. And it will be worth it when we do those things. Which brings us to the last point, which is what faith receives. Here's what faith receives. Verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Their commendation, their praise, their recognition from God. That's, who gets, that's who's giving the commendation. God himself. Um, scripture says you will receive that from God for your exercise of faith, for all the things you did for the sake of his name. Hebrews chapter 11 is a long list of those things. It is God writing for us things that people did thousands of years ago so that we remember. He's holding this up and saying, see this? <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> I love this. That's, that's what we're going to get. That's, we're going to get God's praise. That's part of the reward. I think it's more than that. There's other places that talk about reward in the Bible, but certainly it's at least this. There's this attaboy, if you will, that it's well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, every child wants to hear praise from a parent, right? Well, God is a parent. God is a father. And God is going to say, oh, I love that. I love that, what you did. That was so pleasing. There's praise. There's commendation. Walking by faith just pleases God. We'll never do it perfectly because even the people that are honored in Hebrews 11, they were flawed people. I mean, they had days of faith and they had days of faithlessness. I mean, Noah got drunk after the flood. <laughs> you know, right after this amazing thing he did that he's commended for, he gets blasted and uncovers himself. I mean, not exactly, you know, great role model. Um, Abraham had two wives. 
Sarah laughed when God said she would have a child in her old, old age, and yet these are the people God commended for their faith. They're like you and, you and me, right? They, they have good days and bad days. <laughs> their whole life isn't one string of unbroken success. Uh, but there are things that because God has rescued them through their faith, they have done things by faith, and he says, I like those things, and I'm going to remember those forever. <laughs> and so he'll do with you. You might not do anything as history-changing as building an ark and preserving human life and the entire animal kingdom. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal. That, that would make news, <laughs> right? You might not do that, but not everything in here is of that nature. Abel, he is commended as having a more acceptable, uh, more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So the backstory behind Abel was he brought the first fruits, Cain brought the leftovers. Abel had genuine, true worship. He was devoted for God, to God. He, he put God first. I'm going to give you my best. And God says, that's great. That is so great. He was commended for that. You can do that. God is a father who will praise his kids when they do the right things. Not because they need to in order to be his kids, right? That comes by faith. But he just loves to heap the praise on his kids when they do something that pleases him. And he'll do that for you too. And I think I would add this to the reward. When you act in faith, you do get to participate in what God is doing in the world. You get to see God work in ways that you wouldn't see if you didn't step out in faith. I mean, Noah's Ark did actually save his household and the animal kingdom. <laughs> I mean, when that was done, you're like, wow, we made it through this. <laughs> and he wouldn't have if he hadn't built the ark by faith. Right? So there's, there's that. You get to see God do things. Sarah did conceive a child, even though it was biologically impossible. She was too old to have kids. But God did that. Abraham did dwell in the promised land. He did become the father of a multitude. Um, you get to see, even if, even if it's from afar, even though you only see like the beginnings of it, you say, okay, that's happening. Yes. God is writing a story of redemption in this world, and I get to be a part of it. Um, and even if your part is more of the sowing than it is of the reaping, it's still a part. It's still what God is using to bring all things to the final end of bringing his people to himself and recreating the world. So in 2020, what's your story going to be? What's your part going to be in God's great story of redemption that he's writing? Um, what's going to be, a, you know, assigned to your name, you know, if this list continued in Hebrews 11 and then you were added to it? What's that part going to be? Maybe it's that you were made strong in weakness like Pastor Dan is doing right now with all of his emails to us. He's saying, I'm trusting in God. This is momentary light affliction. Um, you know, that's the work of God in a person's life right there. That's commendable. Maybe that's what your story is going to be. You're going to be strong in weakness as God strengthens you. Uh, maybe it's going to be that you're going to share the gospel with that person that, that you've been afraid to do it with. Uh, maybe you, you're going to do something else that's, that's venturing into the unknown. I don't feel comfortable at all taking on this, this new role or whatever, but, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it without knowing. <laughs> 
Whatever it is, take encouragement from those who have walked before you in faith. They were just like you. They had the same wrestlings. They moved forward. God used it. God commends it. That's what he'll do for you in 2021. So I would say one, maybe one practical thing to do, read some missionary biographies or biographies of some famous people, godly people, and just be encouraged by their stories. I, I find biographies to be like one of the most edifying things. Um, normal people, but God used them to do amazing things. It's just so encouraging to your soul. Faith is like a muscle that grows stronger the more we exercise it. So the more you obediently enter situations that require faith, the more you experience the reality that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So may the Lord help us do that in 2021 and beyond. And may he give you a quiet happiness and a secret strength as you do put your faith in him and do what faith calls for. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that the unseen things are true. You are there. We're not speaking into the air right now. Your ears open to our cry and always will be. And so we do ask, increase our faith. Help our unbelief. Give us that confidence to do that next thing without knowing for sure how it's going to work out. We'll have stories to tell. We look forward to those stories. We thank you that you're the God over 2021, the God over all the world, the one who upholds the universe by the word of your power. We thank you that we can rest in that power. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.